Amen. All right, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Um, I don't know if all preachers are like this, but when I have the opportunity to preach and I, and I know kind of who the audience is going to be, uh, oh yeah, little folks can leave, can head out. I call them little people, which goes right along with the opening illustration tonight. Um, I'm sure they want, don't want to be referred to as kids or babies. <laughs> Uh, so our young people are going to head out um, to Treehouse, I mean to uh, Roy Jr. Um, but when you're preparing to preach, you think about who's going to be there. And I always, I have the tendency to think about, like I, this, I don't know why, but this this text and this sermon, I've thought a lot about Kara Jones this week. I, I think I even told her, I think you're going to really enjoy sermon. Well, Kara had to work tonight. And, uh, and I always know that the Lord's got the word for his people in the moment. And I'm praying this will be very practical. Our study through Hebrews, it's a deep dive, man. It's a deep book. I'm not a deep person by nature. And so uh, I've enjoyed listening to the, the really smart guys handle the, the heavy lifting. And it's been just like, I felt like Timmy Burnett, my buddy's here tonight. And I remember one time he said it's like, like an old sow hog bellying up to the slop bucket, you know, and just eating and feasting. I feel like that's what I've been doing. And so tonight I'm going to share uh, from a text that I think takes everything we've learned to this point and really turns it to the practical. We all like practical. We all need practical. We need application. And each week we've had that, but at the same time, it's been heavy, deep, doctrinally rich and dense stuff, you know. And uh, when I was a kid and I would, I would chew, when I would be at my, grand, my, one, my one grandparent's house, uh, I had a, they would, I, my granddad would tell me to chew like 40 times or something, um, which I never did, and, uh, you know, just inhale it, but the idea is there are times we come to these texts where you got to just kind of chew and work through it. Tonight's text, I think, is going to be very practical, more on the practical side, less doctrinally dense, which for a lot of us, I think, will appreciate. I want to point out before we dive into this, because we're going to be talking about discipleship and spiritual maturity, spiritual growth, spiritual development. Um, we use the word discipleship because it's biblical. Tiffany Long and I were having a conversation re recently where she said, uh, I was being discipled before that was a buzzword. And I, and I know what she was saying We've taken a word that was biblical and we've made it sort of a buzzword in the church. Sometimes we don't mean what that word originally means. And so we're going to look at what, what is discipleship? What is a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What are my responsibilities as a Christ follower? If I confess faith in Jesus, I put my faith, my hope, and my trust in Jesus, what's it look like for me to walk that out? What's it look like for me to do that for five years or 50 years? What's it look like for me to still be doing that when the Lord calls my number, calls me home? Um, and so we're going to talk about discipleship. My discipleship method is, you guys know what this acrostic is, KISS. What does that stand for? Keep it simple. Y'all don't call me stupid. I'm working, I'm trying here, I'm, I'm doing what I can. But yeah, so keep it simple, stupid, right? Like I need it broken down as simply as I can get it broken down. And I was thinking about this because he uses this analogy in the text. The, the author, the pastor uses this analogy in the text of not, not staying in infancy as Christians. And every little kid 
wants to be grown. You know, they want to be big. They want to be grown up. They want to, they want to be credited with things that they're not maybe yet ready to be credited with. Uh, they want to drive before they're 16, or they want to walk before they're effectively crawling. And you see that little toddler that can't walk yet, but he's trying, and he just face plants. So there's a process to growth that we all have to go through Physically, there's also a process of growth that we have to go through spiritually, and that's, that's a, big, a big part of what discipleship is. Other more doctrinally dense words that we use to describe the Christian journey of discipleship would be sanctification. You familiar with that word? Sanctification is the, the word that, that uh, defines or that, it, uh, it, that would be defined as the process of being conformed into the image of Jesus. Paul says that happens one degree of glory at a time. It's like when your kid's growing up and you make the mark on the, you stand them up, you put the ruler on their head. Y'all, some of y'all still have that left in your house. I have, we have one door jam in our house. It's got Shyla and Wyatt. They're not even my kids. It's got neighborhood kids. It's got, you know, like family members and cousins. And there's just marks, marks, marks. Have y'all, did y'all do that? Some of y'all do that. And you, you're, you're measuring in a visible way growth, Right? Um, I'm, I'm thankful and feel fortunate to be part of a church where we have a diversity in age. One of the things I love about this church is that if you come in here on a Sunday, the front row of this church is occupied by young men who are committed to their own discipleship, who worship the Lord. You're not going to see that in many churches, but it defies what's being said of this generation of young men in our culture right now but you're also when you come to church at red oak you're going to see older believers that have been walking with jesus half a century who've been faithful to the lord not perfect but faithful to the lord if you're looking for a perfect church we're not it if we were it became imperfect the minute you walked in you know like it's like it's like there's no perfect christians we're all just striving to be the best version of christ follower that jesus will conform us into And so tonight's text, I think, is going to help us in that journey. So we're going to just read a handful of verses, beginning in chapter 5. We'll start in verse 11. He says, about this, we have much to say. Now, what's he talking about? Well, if you go back up to the last verse we read last week, uh, he said said that um, Jesus was designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We stopped. We touched on Melchizedek, but what the writer is doing now is he's saying, now I want to talk more about that, but it's like in this moment he realizes who he's talking to and he recognizes that they're not, they're not going to get it. You ever done that? You're communicating with somebody and you realize I'm about to go into some deep waters or over their head and I need to stop and we need to break some things down. So when he gets to that, that verse we saw last week about Melchizedek, he's like, okay, Y'all aren't going to get this. Reminds me, two, I have two preaching horror stories. A lot of people in this room know them. Some were there. One was uh, the team, our worship team, um, was leading worship. Rob Conti was a youth pastor in Virginia, and he had put on a student ministry event and brought uh, a team from Snowbird to come up there and lead this area-wide youth ministry event. And they, as they always do at student ministry events, they fed everybody pizza, just stacks of pizza, you know, and then they had the gym and they played games and you got, when you have really hot kids and lots of lukewarm pizza with lots of cheese, somebody's going to get sick. I'm preaching. I'm just out of the intro into the first chunk of like meat 
And this kid, speaking a chunk of meat, this kid on the second row stands up and barfs straight across the front. Like, he pukes. The first one flies down this way, and then he pukes all the way down the aisle and out of the back of the church. You know what? You have to know your audience. At that point, I'm done preaching. I could have stood. I had, I had a solid outline, man. I had a good, good youth group sermon, probably about, like, putting on the armor of God or laying down your life every single day and, and, and committing it as a living sacrifice. Probably something super youth dynamic and practical. And we were done. When there's, when there's a train of puke down the aisle, we're done. You got to know your audience. Another time we were preaching uh, at an event in Georgia and there was a group of kids. We were, we were in a college town, not Athens. We were in Statesboro. That's Georgia Southern. And, uh, and this kid keeps barking like a Georgia Bulldog. You know how those obnoxious Georgia Bulldog fans are. Nobody likes being around those people, you know? And they're, whoa, 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 get them dogs, whoa, 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 whatever, you know? And this kid is just barking. And finally, I can't take it anymore. I got to address this. And it's kind of a dimmer room. About as many people as are sitting in here right now. And I said, hey, I need my dog, man, to just tone it down. And I realized at that moment that this is a kid with some sort of issue or disability and he's been brought here and I'm, I'm the idiot standing on stage who's just made a joke. You know, like at that point, nobody's going to take you serious. Just wrap it up. All heads bowed, eyes closed, I think was the next thing I said. But the, the writer here is recognizing, hey, we've got to this point where we introduce this Old Testament figure named Melchizedek. The last time Melchizedek had been mentioned in the Bible was a thousand years before this. David had mentioned it. I believe it was Psalm 110. Before that, David was mentioning a 1,000-year-old event that, that went all the way back to the time before the law was given to Moses. And so he's like, you know what? We can't get into that right now. And so he's going to use all of chapter 6, preparing us to then in chapter 7 go into this teaching on Melchizedek. When we get to chapter 7, we're going to learn a little bit more about who that is. But he recognizes, he, he literally says, um, he says about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. He knows his audience. He knows that he can't keep going forward. And he says, since you have become dull of hearing. The phrase dull of hearing literally means you are dim-witted. You are sluggish in thought. And it's, I think it's important to point out all the commentators will agree on this. He's not telling them that you're not intelligent enough. He's not saying, have, have you ever done that? We got a lot of teachers in our church. I, I, I was counting up how many school teachers we've got or people that work in education. And I counted seven or I counted eight just in this, in this church, in this congregation. And we've, we've, you've, you've had that situation where you recognize that a kid is not able to learn and retain the information you're trying to teach them. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying you are choosing not to learn. You're choosing to be lazy Christians. You're choosing not to take responsibility for your own growth and development. And so it's an indictment against these people. He's saying, hey, listen. I need to go deeper with you right now, but I can't because you've been lazy and sluggish and you're not trying to, you're not trying to take hold of this thing. And I think where if, if this group of believers was like most of us might be today, 
where we tend to struggle is I think oftentimes we self-deprecate or we demean our own responsibility. We'll say something like this, well, I'm no theologian, but you are a theologian. You're someone who's been called by God to study his nature and his character, to learn more about who Jesus is. He's revealed himself to us in his word. He's given us just alone in the four Gospels, so much to digest and process about who Jesus is. You are a theologian. Joseph Tucker's not the theologian in the church. He's the man God has called to be our lead pastor. He's not, we're all students of the Word of God. When you're saved by grace through faith, God brings you into a journey and a process, and you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. It's not the pastor's responsibility, first and foremost, for me to grow. It's my responsibility. There's people in this church, I wouldn't dare say their names and, and embarrass them, that I've watched with such joy their growth and development over the last couple of years, over the last year, over the last six months. There's one family that's in our church, they were at our house today, and that mama is growing like a weed, and I'm just like, every time I'm around them, I'm blessed by it. I'm thankful for it, and I'm pushed. Would you believe that if you're a young Christian who's, who's newer to the faith, that you could challenge and encourage and push the older Christians with your zeal, with your excitement, with your commitment, and I love that. So he's saying, don't be lazy in your determination to study, to grow. You are a theologian. What is a theologian? Some of you are like, what? Uh, um, Xavier said this past week, he's like, man, when I first came here, I had the word theology, and I thought, is that the study of the word the? What does that mean, you know? Like, theology is, is the, at the root of that is theos or theo, which is the word, the name for God, like the word for God as a deity, and so it's the study of God. Are we all theologians? Yeah, you're a theologian. I'm a theologian. Hold your chin up, not in pride, but in recognizing who God has called you to be. You know, like, this is who you are. Don't self-deprecate. Well, I'm no theologian. I don't even read good. My, my stepdad, a lot of y'all have heard me talk about Pap, Rocky's dad, he, he, he reads his Bible. I was at his house this past week, and I sat down. Um, and, and started my devotion, and he walked in there, and he sat down, and he opened. I, I, I was there just having coffee with him that morning. He opened his Bible. He sat at that counter for an hour, and then he came out, put in another dip, got another cup of coffee, said, started doing some kind of little dance, and said, let's go to work, bro. And I said, how much do you read, Pap? He said, whole chapter. Took him an hour. You know what? He's a theologian. Talk to him, ask him about his Savior, ask him about his God. He'll tell you about him. He'll brag on him. He loves the Lord, and he's growing. And so he, he's, the writer is saying, I want to go deeper, but you're sluggish of hearing, and that shouldn't be the case. It's time to grow up. You know, it's like I remember when I got, we were laughing at supper last night. Um, I remember when I got to college, it was like uh, they put me in a class called math. That was what it was called. I hadn't had a class called math since sixth grade. Had like pre-algebra, algebra, geometry, algebra two. They got to do that in two years. Bree back there sizing me up. Like, like, then I get to college and they go, no math. Mm. So you, you do these things. You take these tests on your way in. They're like, they put me in this thing called math. Now, now back then they called it remedial math. 
but now we don't want to be offensive or hurt people's feelings. Listen, y'all, we got a soft generation coming up. Hurt their feelings. Make them work for it. Like, like I wanted to get out of remedial math, you know? So, so, like, what we don't need is people that are walking with Jesus content to stay remedial in their faith, remedial in their knowledge. Well, I'm just a Christian. What's that mean? Well, I got saved, bless God. Well, yes, bless God. Praise the Lord. What's that mean? What's that mean? What's your journey? What's your story? You're 15 years old in this church. You're 13 years old in this church, and you call yourself a Christ follower. Then dig in and be responsible for your own discipleship. You're a 75, 80, 90-year-old person. Dig in and be responsible for your own discipleship. You're a theologian. Quit saying, well, I just come to church. I don't, you guys, I don't know how y'all know what you know. I tell you, if you hear somebody say something from up here and it blesses you, like we've been blessed the last five, six weeks, it's because these are men who have spent time with God and his word and have been shaped by it. And everybody in this room has that same responsibility and opportunity. So let's do it. So what I did is I, 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 I kind of pared this down for me in, when term, when, in terms of my growth because he goes on and he says, um, you're dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. He's like, the progression should be that you should be further along than you are. Now, he's talking to specific people, but he's talking to us too. And I thought, what, is, what, is my, how, what could I share? I appreciated hearing from Rob, and I've heard him talk about this a lot when, when he was kind of walking through what his morning looks like. So, so here's, here's the cool thing. In your growth and discipleship, there are some things that need to be practical in your life, and we're going to actually give some definition of that word discipleship here shortly. But there should be some things in your life that are practically true because you're living them out, and you get some, you get some freedom in how you want to do what you do. So like for me, when I get up in the morning, my morning process of, of Bible study is custom fit to me. It contains certain principles like time in the Word, time in prayer, time in meditation. But like the, I would say this, it's two things. It's intentional. You don't just accidentally wake up and stumble into time with God, right? You don't just wake up and stumble into time with God. And for those of you that prefer to study late in the evening, I will never say you shouldn't study late in the evening. If you're going to spend time with the Lord, you're going to read, do it, go for it. I do think there's something beautiful, powerful, and expressive about what my one buddy calls attacking the dawn. Attack the day. Bring, as, the, as the physical light comes into the world, the spiritual light of God's Word is coming into your life. There's something very biblical about that with David in the Psalms and with Jesus. But be intentional and be strategic for me, I have an acrostic that I've never shared, and now I'm going to share it. The acrostic is this, P-H-O-G, fog, because that's what I'm in when I wake up in the morning. And I don't dive into this till the first cup of coffee is down the hatch. Uh, I, I get that first cup of coffee, and then I'm good to go. It used to be H-O-G. And I thought, I can't, I can't tell people that my morning acrostic is hog, you know. And so I went to, to P-H-O-G. The P stands for ponder. And in that, what I'm talking about is prayer and personal worship. So, so I'm going to ponder. I'm going to spend time with this is when This is when I'm going to try to bring things. This is me personally. You, you take the meat throughout the bones custom fit your own personal process but I'm going to pray and spend time in personal worship then I'm going to hear I want to hear this comes from reading meditating I'm going to read I'm going to meditate on the word of God I'm going to listen I'm going to study the study may be a deep dive I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to ponder I'm going to hear and then I'm going to obey 
the best of my ability. What is there something, remember Caroline Ellis used to say, is there a command in this text that God's calling me to obey? So I'm going to obey. And then the fourth piece, the G, stands for grow, and that's simply the result. If I do these things, I'll grow. This, the, the, the preacher, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you should have already grown, but you haven't intentionally done the things that it takes to grow. And so you're not growing. And who's responsible for your growth? You are. That's what he's saying. So for me, ponder, hear, obey, grow. Prayer, personal worship, read, meditate. Within that read and meditate, I would add memorize. I, I, that's trying to memorize scripture. Listen, study, and then obey, and, and then grow. Hearing being the listening to the word of God. And young people particularly are good. And when I say young people, I'm talking about everybody under 35. Definitely under 30. But we say under 35. Sam, you'd probably say, what, 35? Young people? All right, 35. If you're under 35, if you're under 30, under 35, whatever. Lit, I, I, write this in, I write this all the time. Listening, y'all know that greater than? I learned it in math. <laughs> the greater than symbol, y'all remember that? Listening is greater than speaking. And all the old people thinking about the younger generation, said, amen. If you could go back and learn to listen more than you speak, know what you don't know. If you're 25, I am skeptical of your knowledge if you're trying to inform me of something. Because life hasn't beat you up enough yet, right? That doesn't mean when you're 25 you can't teach an older person something. I'm just saying one of the most important lessons that I didn't learn, that I this, this comes from people saying, man, if you go back and tell your 25-year-old self something, what would you say? I'd say, listen 10 times as much as you speak. Because I didn't do that. Listening is better than speaking. Ponder here, obey, and grow. Listen to the word of God. Then verse 12, he says, let's do 12 and 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. This is so funny because he's saying, he's painting this picture of like, you know, imagine, imagine showing up if you work in an office with a bunch of other, you know, let's, let's, let's say, there ain't no big corporate offices around here. Like, you've seen it in the movies, though. Like, it's these big, you know, buildings in the cities and there's cubicles or big open spaces and everybody comes in there wearing their tie. Now, imagine everybody's bringing like a big sippy cup full of milk. And like big massive binkies on ropes around their, their neck, you know, like, like, hey guys, ready for milk break? You know, instead of coffee break, they're stopping. He's, he's kind of, he's serious, but he's also making a point. He's like, that shouldn't be. You got to move beyond. Remember when, remember a little child who has just been on milk, the first solid food they move to is that rice powder parents remember that some of you are in the middle of that now you put a little milk in it you mix it up and it doesn't taste good you like like maybe if you put some sugar in it you can make it palatable it's just like this rice powder but that kid moving from milk to that solid food with texture it awakens something in them they make funny faces they but then once they're there they can't go back to just milk and then from there, you go to that baby food. And from there, you go to mashed up solid food. And we're moving forward. It's a progression. So he's, he's sort of using that picture like, hey, this is what that's like. It's like we got to be moving forward. And he says, here's what should be happening. You should be teaching younger believers the things that you have not yet learned. 
So he's, he's telling us how far behind we are, and specifically his hearers, but, but we could all probably take from this. You should be teaching things that you've not yet learned yourself because you've chosen to stay on the milk. And what does that look like? Well, he says the basic principles of the oracles of God. And look down in chapter 6, verses 1, 2, 3. He kind of explains that. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. He says there in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. He's like, when you become a Christian, you confess that Jesus is Lord, you repent of your sin, and you move forward toward peace with God, relationship with God, growth with God. And he said, man, too many Christians want to say the prayer and just have a seat. Say the prayer, plop down. We had X number of people that came to faith in Jesus at this event, and, you know, and it was like, man, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. But, man, there was, there was a time in the early church where discipleship was necessary to give evidence that your confession was real. He would say, hey, we need to praise the Lord that you've confessed faith in Jesus. Praise the Lord that you verbally repented of your sin. Praise the Lord that you have entered the waters of baptism, which we could even make a point here. If you haven't been baptized and you're a Christian who has confessed faith in Jesus, the foundation is not even laid for you. So let's, let's get that right. We'd, we'd, we'd do it next Sunday. We'd do it tonight if you want to. But like next Sunday, we're going to be baptizing. You lay that foundation of obedience. But he said, then every step is to build and grow you for the next thing. So a lot of guys refer to this, uh, these basic or- oracles or principles um, as the ABCs of the Christian life. So I'm going I'm to read. I, I had to write this down. I confused myself with this illustration. So I'm going to read it verbatim. When he says AB, when, talking about uh, when commentators will say this is like the ABCs of the Christian faith. You know, like repentance, baptism, like pursuing the Lord, recognizing what Jesus has done. When he says ABCs, I think an illustration here would be helpful. If you take the sentence, spot can run, I can see spot run, run, spot, run. Y'all remember that book? That's an awesome book, man. People ask me sometimes, hey, man, you, you do a lot of reading. I was like, man, I started reading books when I was like eight. And it was the spot book is what I was talking about when I told him that. Um, I could take that same set of letters, okay? Spot can run. I can see spot run. Run, spot, run. Take that same set of letters. That's a S-C-P-T-R-N-I-E-A-O-U. And run a large percentage of the alphabet, including, uh, of, of the dictionary, including words that contain up to 11 letters. So from spot can run, I can see spot run, run, spot, run, I come up with a bunch of words. Some of them I never heard before. Uh, some of them I have. Precaution, precautions, supertonic, supersonic, cap and years, co-parents, croupiest, inceptors, inspector, operatics, outcapers, outprices, portances, procanes, apocrine, apricot, autopsic, canopies, cantrips, campanier, Caponese, capstone, captions, captious, apricots. We could keep going and do this all night, but y'all get the point. With that, with that little three-sentence thing, short three sentences, we can keep growing. I put, a, I put a, a larger sentence together using some of these words, um, using the same letters, 
from C-spot run, that little bit, I can say this. I can see to it, precautions are present, and no auspice is unseen at inspections, that this is a stop at supersonic turns in Capri. <laughs> that sounded smart, didn't it? <laughs> I don't know what it meant, but I just played around with this one app I found. <laughs> the point being, when we take the alphabet and you learn those 26 letters, initially, you're learning how to phonetically say each one of them, right? Then the first thing you do is you link together a three-letter word. But from that same alphabet, whole treatises between governments have been written. Constitutions have been written. The greatest works of literature. Tolstoy doesn't have a different alphabet than Jen Forchetti has for her elementary school students. It's just an increasing use and knowledge of that alphabet. And he's like, that's what the Christian life is like. Take these basic principles, build on them, and go forward. And don't look back in the sense that you linger here when God wants to take you here. Grow in your knowledge. Get smarter. Get brighter. Get more intense. It would be funny if you came over to my house for a book club I was starting and I handed out copies of the C-Spot Run book. So let me, let me wrap this into application. Think about, uh, think about like um, a piano player who learns the basic scales. We could, we could illustrate the same way with that. Learns, progresses, and then plays Mozart and Beethoven and plays in the symphony. Think of, I, I remember we were, uh, we were on a recruiting trip and we're talking to, to, with, with Tucker when he was um, in the process of being recruited. And we were at this, um, we're talking to a coach who was a former wide receivers coach in the NFL. He had come back into the Division I world. And <coughs> I remember he said, he said, let me show you something. He would show a video of Tuck running a route in a game. Then he would show Devontae Adams, who was a wide receiver for the um, Green Bay Packers at the time where he had coached, running the same route, and he would break it down and say, this little movement is a progressed and developed movement over the basic movement you have now. And he talked about player development. Discipleship, here it is. Here's the definition. Discipleship is development. It's you and I learning the same things God would teach us on day one, but advancing and growing and building, the foundation is in place. We grow in knowledge and understanding and experience. We become strong and healthy people. It's not that we quit drinking the milk. It's that we move on to more than just the milk. Remember when Little's grandmother, um, Little and Stephen's grandmother, had, uh, she had uh, Alzheimer's, and she was nearing the end of her life. And I remember they were getting her to drink those little insure drinks. And I remember they were saying, I remember the nurse saying, if you can get her to drink two of these, she gets all the vitamins and minerals she needs in a day. But none of us in here really want to live on two of those little drinks. That's simply survival. But what does it look like to grow and to be strong and to thrive? Are you a surviving Christian or a thriving Christian? Are you getting by on the basic nutrients and minerals that a little bit of milk provides? Or are you like, no, I want to grow strong and be built up and be rooted and developed as a Christian? And he gives in the last verse, verse 14, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
he gives the sign of maturity. The, the, the sign of maturity in a believer's life is a person who has discernment. This is having your senses trained to distinguish good from evil at a high degree of sensitivity. This is not man-made rules. This is not, <clears throat> I'm not going to come to your church because they don't wear suits or <clears throat> I'm not going to listen to that music because it's got a, this beat or that. But we're not talking about just creating rules. What does this mean? This means we are discerned when it comes. The Bible says that the spiritual man is discerned. I, the questions I like to ask before I think, say, or do anything is, don't always get this right, but does this edify and build up me? Does it edify and build others up? Does it unify the body or does it cause division? Does my action or my words or my Facebook post draw unity within the body or create division? I had a, had a friend this week, good brother, but he's one of those cantankerous reformed Christians who's like super Calvinistic and loves to start fights. And I just, I'm tired. I don't like to play that game no more. And he's like, what do you think about the Asbury revival? I said, bro, I don't know, but I know this. If people are praising Jesus and doing it in spirit and truth and they ain't getting out of the book, live and let live. I don't know what they're doing. I haven't been up there. I haven't drilled into it, but I sure ain't going to criticize it. I don't know. If it comes out that they're spreading heresy, then yeah, it needs to maybe be addressed. But I don't know. Live and let live. I feel like we meddle, man. We meddle. You watch The Chosen? Yeah, I do. I do. I love it. I think it's awesome. You know what else we do? We do skits at Snowbird. You know what else we do as preachers? We create illustrations to drive points home in sermons. Are we going criti to like, criticize that? Live and let live, man. Like, like powers of discernment are those powers that say what builds up the body of Christ, what grows each believer, what moves me forward in my walk with Jesus. <gasps> he drinks beer? I don't know if he does. I don't know. But if he does, it's between him and Jesus. I don't want to be a stumbling block. We get so nitpicky. Maturity leads to discernment. Does it produce growth and maturity in Christ-likeness in others, in me? Will it cause or create patterns that lead to maturity and development as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Will it cause others to stumble? Because if it will, don't do it. You've got a brother that says, hey, man, I'm not, I'm, like, I'm, I'm afflicted and conflicted with your use of alcohol, then brother, stop drinking it. Is it building up the body of Christ? He's talking about maturity is not, what does it mean to eat the meat and the solid food? Does it mean you can define sanctification and justification by faith? No, it means your powers of discernment, your sense and sensibility when it comes to what is going to produce growth in the body of Christ. Those are going to be real. And sensitive, like spidey senses for the Christian. Explain that to this section over here later. I love y'all. Y'all know I love you. Will it cause others to stumble? Is it harmless but not necessarily helpful? We need Christians who are discerned and discerning, and that comes about through maturity. So lastly, I wanted to just share a quick list. You might want to take a picture of this with your phone because we're out of time, and I don't have time to elaborate on each one of these. But discipleship as development. Here's some things that I think every one of us could put into practice this week. This is not an exhaustive list. This was a quick, like, half hour, maybe an hour that I sat and thought about this and pared this list down. Study deeply and or sit under solid teaching. Study deeply 
and or sit under solid teaching. Commit often and reevaluate often. We have this real trendy thing in the Bible Belt to recommit or rededicate. Just commit your life afresh and anew to the Lord every day. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Commit often. Reevaluate often. Memorize and meditate. Scripture and prayer. Memorize and meditate. Next, get uncomfortable. Get uncomfortable. What, how do you get uncomfortable? I, shit, like For most of us, sharing our faith with a stranger, that's very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Remember sitting down beside this lady on a plane during the 2016 election, and she went on, I don't know what I had written on me, but she went on a hour-long rant about basi- basically like Hillary Clinton was her Messiah, and she touted every women's feminist movement and the pro-abortion, and, she, and, she, and I was just like, i got to share Jesus with this girl. And she's just hammering, boy. She's not, she's not coming up for air. I just want to tell her about Jesus. I don't even know. I, I, I just want to tell her about Jesus. I don't want to go down that path. I don't want to talk politics or social issues. I want to tell her about Jesus. I remember, like, the pressure building, it was one of the most uncomfortable moments I've ever been in. So we've got to get uncomfortable sometimes. I need to do it more. Iron sharpens iron. Surround yourself with godly men and women that will hold you accountable, help you grow, and drill into your own sanctification. Determined not to be a grumbling, murmuring, complaining, gossiping, negative Christian. Determined not to be, because it's easy to just drift into that. These characteristics inhibit growth and they maintain immaturity. Be an active part of the local body. Be an active part of the local body. Appreciated Joseph's words tonight before the Lord's Supper. Implement the spiritual disciplines. Learn that listening and hearing is usually more beneficial than speaking and being heard. And last, heed the warnings of Scripture. Take them serious, man. When Jesus says what Joseph pointed us out tonight in our pre-service meeting, Jesus said, repent or you will likewise perish. We like to key in on the, the miracles of Jesus, the parables which Jesus said, repent or you will perish. Repentance is the key to peace with God in relationship with the Lord. But also for the believer, heed the warnings. We're going through Hebrews, man. He's like, take heed lest you drift. Be careful so that you don't go down this path of drifting. And lastly, I would say uh, this goes back to the discernment thing. And this one's not on the list that we've got on the board. But it's okay to disagree about some stuff, man. You can. This goes back to that have your powers of discernment, your sense and sensibility. You don't have, we don't all have to agree on every little thing. There's some core doctrines we need to agree on. We don't have to agree on every little thing. You're not raising somebody else's kid, so don't meddle, you know. <laughs> like, let's, let's agree to disagree on some things. And in the end, let's put out max effort in the Christian walk. Max effort in the Christian walk. In the Christian walk, in the Christian life, there's such a need to be going all out in my pursuit of the Lord, of godliness, of community, and a constant striving to be obedient. There can be no days off. I've taken days off, 
and it's disastrous. It's never good. Those days are dangerous. We used to do 80% warm-ups and 60% warm-ups at ball practice. To get the body warm, to prepare, to train, you need to break a sweat and then stretch really well. Then you go into max effort. You put out 100% effort to compete, to get stronger, to get faster, to get better, to win. As Christians, we come in here, we encourage, we edify, we build up, we warm up, and then we go max effort in our pursuit of Jesus. And we shine the light of the gospel to a lost and dying world that needs to see disciples who are authentic in their pursuit of Jesus who heed the warnings, love theology, study the book, submit to it best they can. You're not perfect. Even in your failures and your mistakes, they're going to learn a lot from the way we respond. Lord, I pray that you'd take your word tonight, that it would be practical, that you would drive it deep into our senses and our emotions, that we would have our convictions align with the discernment that's given us in scripture that we would learn to be less critical of others more critical of ourselves but in a realistic way where we recognize that we are the recipients of your grace that your kindness and your goodness and your gentleness are meant to lead us to repentance but that you are a God who demands repentance you demand that all people everywhere repent and that as believers we are to then move on from that but walk continually in that repentance to build on those basic principles but to grow in our knowledge our understanding our experience i pray that discipleship would be development in each of our lives as we would grow more into the image of jesus no matter what stage or era or period of life we're in in jesus name amen